Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. It's your club, and this is your show. Is it me, or is this week seeing the emergence of the old Manchester City again? An excellent performance at Chelsea was followed up by superiority in the Manchester derby, and everything is looking bright once again. City have another trip to Wembley to look forward to, and they're only four points off Premier League leaders Liverpool, but with two games in hand. Attention, though, we'll now turn to the FA Cup as City take on Birmingham this weekend before the visit of Brighton on Wednesday, as the games start to come thick and fast. For all of the good displays, the biggest stories have come away from the pitch this week, though. We'll speak to Belgian journalist Christophe Tereur about Kevin De Bruyne's contract negotiations. The former City midfielder Stefan Karl is also on the show. And Manchester football historian Dr Gary James will be on the show looking at the life of club legend Colin Bell, who sadly died on Tuesday. I'm David Mooney, and this week I'm joined by One Football's Dan Burke. Hello. And the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn. Hello, mate. You all right? I'm not too bad, thanks. Um, I I think the first place to start with uh, this week's stories, though, uh, again, off the pitch, uh, Jack, news broke just before the uh, Chelsea game. I can't remember if it was on the morning of the Chelsea game or or, or the day before, Uh, but uh, news had broken about uh, Benjamin Mendy uh, breaching COVID protocol. He apologised. The club uh, say they're investigating. He didn't come on in that game, but should he have been in the squad at all? Uh, Yeah, it it, it broke on the... On the day of the game, it was in the in the sun on Sunday. Um, my personal view is that probably no, he shouldn't have been. He shouldn't have travelled with them. Um, I know. I don't think City knew about it until Saturday, maybe. Um, Pep said before the match, didn't he, that um, Mendy's already already had the virus, so therefore it's fine. Which people have got. Differing opinions on that, haven't they? Um, I just, I, I don't know. I just, it didn't. He didn't need to go, did he? Uh, it would have been, just would have been a better look if he didn't go. I think that's the thing, isn't it, Dan? It, like the, the the Everton stuff was was the the line was better safe than sorry, and this just didn't feel like better safe than sorry. No, it was such a such an unnecessary PR own goal from the club. I I felt, especially if he's not going to play anyway. Like, why 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 bother? I mean, it, yeah, the the optics of it were just so bad. I thought, you know, they they they'd had lots of criticism for the Everton game being postponed, and you know, I think sensible people realise that it, it was the, the right decision, the right call, um, and like you say, better to be safe than sorry. But for them to then go, well, this guy's had a little party on New Year's Eve. All right, he's not tested negative. Um, I think the sensible thing to do would have just been uh, leave him at home, make him think about what he's done, think about his future at the club, um, isolate at home, and and then we can we can sort of move forward from there. But yeah, to, to take him down on the squad, it just felt wrong to me. Yeah, but uh, it didn't, like you say, it didn't detract from the performance because it was, uh, a, a, I think, City's best performance of the season to this point. Uh, they then went on to beat United in in the League Cup. Uh, Sky, I don't know if you if you clocked this last night, but Sky asked uh, Guardiola about uh, whether or not he thought the uh, the team had uh, the mojo back, and he just didn't get it at all. This is what happened. We saw tonight. We saw against Chelsea at the weekend. It looks like you got your mojo back. 
Uh, who? Uh, sorry. The, the, <laughs> I appreciate it. You probably didn't understand that. No. You, you got your magic back. You, you oh. got that zip and that, that Manchester City feel again. Well, we play good two games. That is a, about the consistency. And uh, I said many times, we played the first official game without any friendly game. So, and uh, we need a little bit of time, but I had the feeling that everybody now is, is already there. Jack, it's impossible not to get that feeling though with City at the moment, isn't it? They, do, they feel like they're on a new level. Uh, yeah, they do. Um, they're definitely playing better. But I think for the majority of the season in the first two thirds of the pitch, they've been good. Um, all right, they haven't been at their absolute best in the in the middle third. Uh, but that comes with goals going in and people taking chances when they do arrive. And then I think it, there was inevitability about if they started taking the chances, which they, they've been pretty clinical the last couple of weeks then everything else will click into place a little bit a little bit more. Um, and if you've got more confidence in the final third, it makes you pass the ball a bit quicker further back. Um, and yeah, I was just not massively surprised that it's happened, that they just look a little bit more well-oiled. Um, but at the same time, you come away from that West Brom game the other week going flipping out, they're just not, they're just not creating anything. Um, and that was the real, the real worry. Um, I think the Salam- the way they won the Southampton game was probably a big, uh, a big moment for them, because I thought they played really well at Southampton. Yeah, um, Dan, I, I've been sitting here thinking who, uh, if City were going to have a player nicknamed Mojo, what the name would be, and all I can come up with is Morris Johnson. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, do you think we're moving into into kind of like stage two of this season's Guardiola look of City? Because it, it feels like he's tinkering a bit more than than he was at the start of the season. It was at the start of the season; it was very much got to be solid and 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 not give the opposition any chances. Now it's it feels a little bit more like he's edging into the how can I get more out of my team territory. Yeah, I think it's been a sort of evolutionary process. I mean, uh, last time I was on the podcast was just after the 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 derby at Old Trafford in the league, and I remember saying how sort of you know the general consensus then was that City weren't playing particularly badly. It was just kind of boring to watch, and we weren't really cr- creating an awful lot of chances. And and like Jack said, since that Southampton game, they've not looked back really. Um, and I think it, it, you've got to remember that they didn't have a, a preseason at all, and uh, they've had a few new signings to bed in. They've been playing without um, Sergio Aguero for for the vast majority of the season, and, and Gabriel Jesus for most of it as well. So they haven't really had the, the sort of full attacking complement. And I think he's he's he looks like he's sort of you know he's built this team in stages now, and he's built from the back. He's he's got the defense um, looking solid and playing really well. And now the next step is now. What can we do with that now? Now we've got the solid foundation. Can we start? Can we start creating more chances? Can we start scoring goals again? Um, the past few games, they've still been playing without a recognised striker, but they've had this sort of interchanging uh, forward line, which you know Chelsea couldn't handle it uh, at the weekend. United really struggled against it as well. Um, all the players that've been playing in that position, you know, De Bruyne has moved a bit further forward, and, and that's made City a lot more dangerous as well. I think so. Yeah, it's just what's the next what's the next step in this evolution going to be? I would like to think it'll be uh, you know scoring even more goals and getting back to the level where they're turning this three nil against Chelsea, which could have been a six or seven nil really, and, and the, the same with United, they are, they, they they had chances to win that game more comfortably than two nil. So I'd like to see them give someone a real battering in the next few weeks, hopefully. Yeah. Um, how much of this, uh, Jack, do you think is is down to the fact that you look at Gundogan and Rodri? They're not they're not both holding midfield anymore, and uh, you know Sterling's back on the right hand side, Foden's on the left. It's opening the pitch out a bit. Yeah. Well, just on Gundogan, I think Gundogan is uh, an exceptional footballer and underrated 
by everybody, and I include myself in that, in that when City were uh, going on massive, long winning runs towards the end of the title-winning seasons, Gundogan was playing as the kind of sitting midfielder and he was excellent and he knitted everything together when Fernandinho wasn't about. But equally, he's so neat and tidy when he's playing further forward that he can just pick locks and open teams up. And I think the way he's been playing over the last couple of weeks is, uh, has almost typified City going up a gear. Um, I think he moves the ball really quickly in the final third, um, which when you've got runners and we've now got they've now got to a scenario whereby the, the wide players um, are actually make, getting back to making those runs every time because they're expecting the ball to come in. Once that happens, the City are very, very difficult to, to live with. Um, and it's been interesting that Sterling's gone out back out to the right because I think, I think that's where he's where he's best, um, just coming in from the right and and scoring all those all those tappings. And it's it's only a matter of time before he he goes on a run um, of scoring goals. The only, I suppose, the only slight not problem because it's not a problem, but disappointment is that even when Foden does play, he's out on the left. And he's out on the left. He's not his best position. Well, I was going to I was going to come to this because Bernardo played one of his best games for City in a long while against Chelsea, and I, I, again, like I just wonder what happens if you swap them two round. Uh, the problem that the, the problem they've got with those two is that they're basically the same player, um, and both of them want to want to play. I know Bernardo keeps changing his mind or has been changing his mind over the last couple of years about where he wants to play. So initially, he wants to play in the middle, and then he was like loving it out wide. He does look. He looks like a central midfielder to me, Bernardo, um, or someone who plays in behind a striker. But I think Foden's the same, um, and that it just means it's very difficult for them both to get a run of games uh, in the position that they want to play in. And their versatility, they are both going to be shunted into different areas, so they don't get that kind of rhythm, which is more probably more of a shame for Foden because I'd like him to just Pep just to turn around and say, right, I want you to play as a as an eight or a ten or whatever, and you've got ten games. There you go, go. You know that you're going to play next week, and it'll give him a little bit more. Maybe that will give him a little bit more freedom, uh, and he and he'd be able to take more risks because he he knows he can make more mistakes because he he knew he knows it'd be in next week. Yeah. Uh, how much of the shape, Dan? Do you think is down to Zinchenko and Cancelo as as the fullbacks? Uh, Cancelo definitely. I mean, he he's been exceptional, hasn't he? I know I know you talked at length about him on the podcast last week, and he 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 was great again against Chelsea and great against against United, and he's he's really sort of you know coming inside and playing as a kind of auxiliary midfielder at times, playing in a, in a kind of attacking midfield role at times, and and you can tell that the, the oppositions haven't worked out how to deal with it yet. Um, Zinchenko. I like him a lot. I think he's done really well um, to, to adapt uh, as a left back under Guardiola during his time at City, and uh, you know his attitude's been great. He's, ne- he's never sulked or when he's been out of the team and that. But when when you look at uh, the United game, I think if there was a weak link in that back line, um, it was him, and. Oh, he did all right in the end, and he didn't really get exposed. But there were a couple of times when he looked a little bit dodgy for me, and I think long term we're probably not. Uh, looking at him as as the the main guy, I would like to think that they will finally uh, next summer at least dip into the transfer <laughs> market and buy that left back that they've been long overdue because yeah. you know it's not it's not going to be Mendy, is it? I don't think it's going to be Zinchenko uh, full time, but at the moment I think he's I think he's earned his place there and he's doing well. 
Yeah, uh, we can't talk about the defense, Jack, without touching on John Stones and Ruben Diaz. I, I like after weeks of is relentless John Stones praise. Back? Yeah, is he I, back? well, I was going to say after <laughs> after weeks of relentless praise, I, I, I was promising myself that we wouldn't speak about them again this week. But the performance at Old Trafford, you just can't knock any of that. That, that. They they their partnership is incredible, and I can't really understand what what was causing it. But Diaz was on goal kicks. Like, what was that all about? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I th- I thought Diaz was man of the match um, last night. Uh, but the good thing about them two together, and again, it'll be interesting to see whether this actually becomes a proper long-term thing or whether Laporte will just move back uh, into the left-hand side of the two. But the the impressive thing about them both is that the, the covering and it's the understanding. So when Stones gets done, Diaz is there. And when and Diaz has got done a couple of times over the last few weeks, then Stones is there and they protect each other. Um, and you can tell... You could tell at the end of the game when they embraced each other, um, and they, you know it's another it's another clean sheet for the collection. There is that that bond um, and that strength of character between them two, which must be really really encouraging um, for the manager, but disheartening for the players that aren't playing because how do you how do you get in in the short term? Yeah, it's going to um, need a massive mistake from from one of them in it to, for them to get dropped. Yeah, uh, uh, Dan. I don't know if you saw the picture. Um, there's a there's a great photograph of just those two celebrating after uh, after Stones' goal, and it, you, they look like brothers that have not not, not seen each other in ten years. <laughs> yeah, they've been they've been. I mean, Diaz has been incredible. Stones has done has done really well to to get back. You know, I, I don't even know you'd say sort of get back to to what he was used to be, be like because I think this is probably the best he's ever played at City, isn't it? And he looks so confident. He looks, you know, he, he didn't put a foot wrong against against Chelsea or United. Um, Diaz, I think, has been one of our best ever signings uh the way things are going you know you, you talk you think about sort of van dyke at liverpool it's that it's that kind of transformative signing and and the thing about diaz is unlike van dyke he's not really sort of like van dyke's a defender that sort of wins a lot of his jewels and and, and uses his sort of uh upper body strength to to sort of muscle defenders out of the way diaz is just always in the right place at the right time he doesn't make a lot of tackles um he just always seems to know where it where to be and, he, and he's he's just I, I, I'm so surprised by how good he's been. You know, I, I watch quite a lot of football, but I don't. I don't find a lot of time to watch the Portuguese league. If I'm perfectly honest, so <laughs> I haven't seen a great deal of him aside from the odd clip here and there. And I didn't. I didn't know if he was going to be the, a good signing for us. I you know, they, they sort of faffed about with uh, Koulibaly all summer, didn't they? Um, and ended up going for this guy after Jules Koundé as well. So it sort of felt like he was the third choice signing. And now I'm thinking, why didn't they just go for him in the first place? Or why didn't they go for him two years ago? Yeah. And, we, and and I mean, it's bizarre that he's only 23, isn't it? Because he looks... He looks Young, like youngest to the back forward doesn't make sense, yeah. Yeah, it's, he's, he's brilliant. I love him. Yeah. I was asking some of the Portuguese guys when he signed, just like, just get a feel, a feel for what he's like and maybe some anecdotes. And they just said, the only thing they, they came back with was, he's a winner. To which I was like, well, that's not really massively helpful for me. You know? <laughs> it's not going to make but a piece, it, that, is it? <laughs> but having watched him for the last few months, that's that's exactly what he is. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. 
Now, Jack mentioned it before uh, about who was playing up front against Chelsea. Uh, we, when the team was announced, we thought it was going to be Sterling, but De Bruyne had that role for a bit as well uh, and probably had his best game for a while as well. Uh, at the same time, there have been reports this week that suggest a new contract between him and City is still a little way off. So I've been speaking to Belgian journalist Christophe Tereur to get the details. The talks, as I'm reliable told are not at an advanced stage yet. We're already hearing for, I think, since September that both parties are close to getting an agreement that it's just about details. It's not true. At the moment, at the moment, they still need to sit down more than once to get to an agreement. They're not in a stage where you could say this is going the right way or this is going the wrong way. So at this point, City have made one proposal to uh, Kevin De Bruyne, and there hasn't been uh, a proposal from his side yet. On the other hand, there's no hurry. Kevin still has two and a half years left on his deal, so they still have time. But I think both parties are eager to wait. People now make out of it that there's a huge issue. It's not a huge issue. It's just that uh, Kevin has been offered a deal, which in in his eyes is not enough. But they will need to talk about that issue over the coming months. But as City are playing every two, three days and Kevin doesn't, one doesn't have an agent and does the talks himself, it's not easy to get his people like his lawyers or his dad who are his advisors in England that easily. Yeah, it's something that might happen maybe after the season that they can have the real proper sit down. Yeah, um, I mean, obviously as well, um, there'll be a lot of City fans that that saw the story over the week and and, uh, and started to panic that things were, were starting to go all wrong. Um, there's 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 a lot of time left, isn't there? That's that's the thing. Yeah, and Kevin's intention is still to stay at City. That's what he wants. It's just for him. It's just a principle. I think he's he's become. Uh, the best player in the Premier League is the best and he's become the best midfielder in the world. If you look at what players are paid all over the world uh, that you see in Spain, uh, he's not asking Messi wages, Ronaldo wages or Neymar wages. He just wants to be paid what the top stars in the Premier League are paid, basically. And that's not a huge gap because he's already uh, paid quite well. But proposal of City over five years was a five-year deal but the total of the complete deal and, and it's always complicated uh, contract negotiations there's the wage package the signing on fee image rights all the bonuses included and um, yeah currency rates too because uh, players from the continent always made the conversion of, of, of the pound to the euro he would net Earn a little less than he's earning now. So that was the main issue for the first proposal. But it's typically in negotiation that the first proposal is always a low one. But I think once they've sat down properly, they will find uh, an agreement somewhere. But at this point, there's no agreement. They haven't even talked about details. Looking at, at the bigger picture as well, because, um, I mean, City made a big deal about, about the fact that over the summer they could afford to bring in Lionel Messi if they wanted to. Um, has that had any effect on the negotiations as well? I think they already had sat down at that point the, when uh, for the first time when that story popped up. But everybody's waiting for that. Players, uh, as I know, 
football players, they are talking a lot about money and things like that in the dressing room. So I think a lot of players, and not even the brand, are waiting to see what's going to happen on the transfer market. And definitely Lionel Messi, uh, if he comes, I think there will be a lot of agents uh, knocking on uh, particularly Bigistan's door or even call Ferran Soriano that the players will need a pay rise because yeah, everybody's going to know that Messi is going to earn loads of money. The piano will have that in the back of his mind too. I think uh, what will happen if Messi signs, do I already have to sign out, give my word? And then in, in th- three or four months, suddenly there's a player who earns triple or four times what I'm earning while I was the best player till he came. And maybe I'm still the best player then you're going to have an issue. So I think uh, Lionel Messi will have a huge influence, not only on City, but on the whole tra- transfer market in a whole. Yeah. Um, and one final question. Obviously, um, we, we see from De Bruyne's character on the field what uh, what, what he's like as a person. Um, he's, he's, quite, he's quite set in his ways, isn't he? Once he's made his mind up about something, he's quite, he's quite determined to, to have that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's quite... He's, he's straightforward and... Uh, um, I could see because, yeah, I know Kevin since the age of, uh, of 16. I could see in the last few weeks that he was a little bit, there was lots of anger in Kevin, which is a good thing. When Kevin is angry, he's usually at his best. So they're just exploring ways and it's, it's at this point and it's, it's in a smart way I can understand Kevin too that you now have to wait. He has strong, strong cards. Do he can tell uh, can tell City I'm the best player in the Premier League. I was elected as best player in the Premier League. I'm in, uh, directly involved in uh, in forty six percent of your Premier League uh, goals this season. Man, I'm the most important player. Come on, pay me or show me the respect and show me that I'm the most important player. And um, in the end, I think City City have always said uh, that Kevin is. Uh, is the keystone for the next rebuild because you feel that the club is now in a transition in between two generations. And Kevin is that bridge between the two generations. Kevin was already one of the the best players in the previous championship squad and he's now bridging the gap. So he will be an important player. So uh, they will, I think they will uh, pay him like a good player at a certain point too, but still, We'll have to wait for a few more months. Uh, it's not that a deal is closed. That's yeah, you can't even talk about the deal. It's just proposal. The game is on at the moment. For a pledge of two dollars a month, you can hear our weekly bonus show on a wide range of city topics. There's more details on patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Jack, what do you think of the situation here? Because it's it, it feels like this is a story that has kind of gathered momentum when I, actually it's just normal process. Yeah, well, I've had, you're probably asking the wrong person because I've, I've had my pants down on this story. Um, oh, sorry about that. With, I didn't realise. <laughs> I, I was laughing with Paul Hurst about this yesterday. We'd written in, after the Real Madrid game, the first leg, that they wanted to sit down and talk to him about a new contract. Um and then did another story in the summer saying there was a bit of optimism that it was going to get done. And now we're in January. So it's almost 12 months on from the <laughs> original story and we're still no closer. Um, Sorry, mate. I didn't realise I was opening up all think... wounds. <laughs> no, it's all right. It's, uh, it's just one of those things that happens occasionally. I think with De Bruyne, obviously, uh, there have been things going on with his 
his normal agent um, over in Belgium, uh, been some some form of police investigation involving him. So he's not kind of working for De Bruyne at, at, at the moment, which slows things slowed things down initially when that was all happening over the summer. Um, and then, as Christoph said, it's it's difficult to organise things during a pandemic. Um, particularly as you're not dealing with the with the normal normal guy and the lines of communication aren't quite as maybe not as open as as they were. Uh, but there's there's no way that he's not going to sign his contract. Yeah, it's, they're not letting Kevin De Bruyne go. It's there's no chance. I mean, the wages are interesting because if you're offering him a five year deal, that's taking him to thirty four, thirty five. Do they want to commit themselves to paying three hundred basic, three fifty basic, whatever it'll be, to a guy who you don't you don't know what the his injury situation will be like in two years' time or fitness? It, it's I could see it being delicate because City have obviously got to protect themselves, but at the same time, he's the best player in the world at the moment, in my opinion. So therefore, you've got to pay your best players what they're worth. So which makes me it does make you think that maybe it'll go on a little bit longer because there is a little bit of like negotiation to be done because you can see it from both sides. Yeah, uh, it's it's interesting that that that's the point as well, Dan. Because uh, a quick word on Aguero, since we've just touched on contracts, uh, he can now talk to anyone he wants. Um, David Ornstein in the Athletic is reporting City are yet to approach Aguero for talks. Uh, they want that, 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 but they want to keep him. Um, mm. They're also he was also reporting that Aguero wants to stay. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Because again, it, it comes down to the injury situation as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I can understand why, why maybe the club are just sort of biding the time a little bit and seeing seeing how this injury kind of heals that he's got at the moment. Because once you get a knee injury at that age, it can be very difficult to come back. And if the if the club are going to offer him a new contract, you know he's going to be one of the most highest highest paid players at the club. Um, it could be a bit of a risk for them. It could be a bit of a risk. So I, I don't, I, you know, obviously I want him to stay, and I hope the club want him to stay, and I hope this kind of the reason that they've perhaps not opened talks with him yet has been properly communicated to him and he doesn't feel like he's been kind of left in the dark. Um, and it's interesting, I was watching the United game and, and the way they're playing at the moment without a recognised striker with these with these sort of, uh, this front four all moving around and I was thinking, do you know who, who this would really suit brilliantly well? Lionel Messi. And, I, and I'm sort of interested to see whether they do go back in for him um, in the summer. And it, it would be a real shame if we did get Messi and Aguero wasn't there to play play alongside him, you know, given what a good relationship they have off the pitch and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I hope he stays and I hope Messi comes as well. But uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out the next few months, I think. I would assume that that is a condition for Messi signing, that Aguero is mm. still, still yeah. here. I was going Which, to say though, Jack, you can't imagine Aguero is is currently looking at his agent, going right. Well, who's who's bringing me offers? You know what I mean? No, I think uh, I think with that situation with Aguero, it's probably a wait and see on the Messi front, um, and no one's in a. Don't think it doesn't feel like anyone's in a great rush to sort anything out. And there'll be there'll be a few things that will drop into place if Messi signs or if he doesn't, um, and maybe. Maybe it'll be the, the natural point to, to kind of wave the goodbyes to Aguero if, if Messi wasn't wasn't to join. I don't know, but they, yeah. they need they need to sign his replacement, whether he's here next year or not. They need to sign his replacement because he just he isn't playing enough games, and uh, you can't see that. Ch- I can't see that changing next year if I'm yeah. honest. 
It's mm-hmm. it, it's that is that knee injury problem, isn't it? That, uh, that yeah. Dan's talking about. Um, now this week we had the sad news that City legend Colin Bell has died at the age of seventy four. He made more than five hundred appearances for the club between nineteen sixty six and nineteen seventy nine, winning forty eight caps for his country as well. City confirmed the news in a statement on Tuesday, saying few players have left such an incredible mark on the club. I've been speaking to the Manchester football expert, Dr. Gary James, to hear more about what Colin Bell meant to City throughout his career and in all the, the decades since he's basically regarded as the greatest and you know I'm sure some people will sort of talk about David Silver and, and so on but for a player to be remembered as the greatest so many years after he kicked his last ball of football is is remarkable and and you know I saw Colin Bell play I was only I was only a kid when I saw him um before his injury if you like so I can't really comment on how brilliant he was but I do vividly remember um, a few moments, you know, I remember his return game against Newcastle and the, the passionate atmosphere that day. Um, and quite simply, you know, we can, you can talk about England's greatest players, you can talk about many, many people, but Colin Bell is is the top for us. You know, he's, he's right at the highest level. He is the name. And I, I hope as well for England that people remember his incredible contribution to, to the national team. Yeah, I was going to say there's there's not many. You, you look at, at club legends all over the place at, at City and at other clubs. There's not many people who have the honour of having a stand named after them, and that that's the level we're talking about here, isn't it? Well, it, I think it's really important to to say that actually he was the first footballer at either City or United to have a stand named after him. So. You know, we should let that sink in. Really, that is remarkable to have a stand named after you, after you at, the, at, at either of Manchester's clubs is absolutely significant. But to be the first one is is just amazing, really. And and he thoroughly deserved that. And and I think I, over the years, I've you know, like you, I've interviewed many many footballers, not just City players, players from many many other clubs, and they always talk about Colin Bell. They always talk about him as being this incredible footballer this legendary player but but more importantly he was he was just a really nice guy yeah he was um well I like you'd mentioned there I actually was lucky enough to speak to him uh it was probably about 2013 or so so it's quite a while ago now um I'm just going to play this this is uh Colin talking about uh joining City when he made the move from Bury. well it was a fantastic move basically and the money the number one thing that weighed him on my shoulders for a few months was the money they'd paid which nowadays was probably, it doesn't sound a lot of money, it was £45,000. But for a, for a teenager, it was a lot, well, I felt it was a lot that time. And like I say, it weighed on my shoulders for a few months. So, What, what was it like then when you first moved to City? What was, it, what was the step up like? The step up, uh, well, I mean, the City were just being promoted from Division 2 as it was then and going into the first division which as a young player the thing you want to do in those days was play first team football in the in the in the championship division so and they just got promoted so that was my chance and going to a big club in the bargain was a a big plus as well did you ever dream that you could end up to be one of the iconic players there no, not really. No, no. It's just the way things work out. I mean, it's uh, the support, the back of the support as you want to play for a club like that when the support is as good as they are. I mean, it's, uh, it's the same with all players that come to the club. If you put the effort in, you get the support from the supporters. And the, I'm a bit biased, but they're, sec- they're second to none, really. What was that team like? 
Always a good team, very good team. I mean, it's a, it selected itself from 1 to 11. We knew if everybody was fit in those days, we knew what the team was week in, week out. And, and they actually played together for a few years, which was great. I mean, people talk about uh, the front line, Bell, Lee, Summerby. What, what was it about those three, about those three players that, that uh, worked so well? Basically, creating goals and making goals. But the thing is, without the rest of the side being as good as they were, we wouldn't have won anything. It takes 11 to make a team. I mean, there's always one or two that gets a headline, either scoring goals or making goals. But the thing, from 1 to 11, we were a good side. It's only when you look back in time to how good we were. The quality of teams round about in those days, uh, in the Premiership, 22 teams, they were all good teams. And away from home, you had to play really well to even beat the bottom teams away from home. That's how good the quality was in those days. Now, you were part of, of what's deemed as City's golden era. What, what was it like to be a part of that such great big piece of history in, in one team? Well, when you look back in time, it was fantastic. At the time, it just passes you by, but uh, you just enjoy it. I, I always feel very lucky to, to get paid as a professional footballer, to keep yourself fit and to play a sport or hobby and to be paid for it. And to play for such a big club as Manchester City and be backed by the supporters that we had in those days and still have, there's nothing better. Now you can hear from that, Gary. He's 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 incredibly. He was incredibly humble, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean that's uh, it, it, that's exactly what I was thinking as a, as you were playing that because he was he was one of the star players by far. You know, probably the greatest ever City player by 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 some way. Um, and there he is saying it's about eleven players. Um, I was just part of that team. I was, you know, one of one of the number, and it, it takes a, it takes a, a group of players to win trophies, and and that's what I've always loved about about Colin. And and he, I, I interviewed him at his house once, and it took me a long, long time to get the, the interview sorted because Colin is is an extremely shy person. He he. he I, th- I often think if he'd have been a, a, a boastful sort of player, then there's no question the world would have been talking about Colin Bell, uh, it, it, you know, as this icon of the world game. But because he's such an humble guy and such a shy guy, he's, he's never boasted about his stuff. And, and when I went to interview him, it was a bit weird, really. But um, there's lots of funny things that happened that day, which I, it's not worth going into today. But um, we were sat there and I was interviewing him and he gave me all the time in the world. So much so that as, we, as I'm interviewing him, it, it was getting dark. The lights were fading. <laughs> and and I think Colin was either too shy or too, I don't know, humble, I guess. But he didn't sort of say to me, can we just stop now and put the light on? Or, you know, we just sat there and it was a pleasure listening to him and just talking to him and interviewing him. And, and, he talked there about um, when he signed and, you know, being a, an expensive fee and he was worried about that as a teenager and, and so on. And, and, and that's, that's fair enough, but he delivered more or less straight away. I mean, the, famously he scored the, the sort of goal against Rotherham that, that got City promoted, um, which was important because City prior to 19, well, he arrived in March 66 and that season, you know, uh, at times, it hadn't been a great it, things. Results hadn't gone City's way, and him arriving was actually a bit of a boost, and it helped City just get over that sort of line, really, and get promoted. And and people, you know, obviously Mike Summer was here then, but other players like Francis Lee and Tony Buck and, and some of the others came later. 
they they weren't there at the start. You know, Bell and some of them were, and obviously some of the Manchester players were. Um, so he, he wasn't going to what was perceived as a trophy, a team that was expected to win trophies. He was a go, going to a team that was perceived as being a fallen giant in the second division. And they and and he, he stayed there and ended up being not only the greatest player, but a member of the tie, team that won the club's first and so far only major European trophy. And, and that's remarkable. You know, it's yeah, a true legend. I mean, it was quite upsetting listening to him, really, because, you know, you, you sort of think he's only, you know, in his, his early 70s, really, and, and, and what a loss. Yeah, um, I, I want to talk to you about uh, his move to City because there's the the famous story of Malcolm Allison uh, going on the scouting trip and uh, and basically doing him down to to make sure nobody else could get him. Yeah, I I interviewed Allison about this. Oh God, twenty or thirty years ago, even, um, and uh, it was a, a a great story. And it, but it was absolutely true. City did not have the money, really. So Colin Bell should have perhaps gone for 60, maybe £70,000 at the time, you know, a massive amount. Should have been uh, uh, by far a, a sort of national record, if you like. Um, and he was definitely being watched by a number of major teams. And so Malcolm Arson was there on a scouting trip and, you know, he was sat in the director's box and there was scouts from some of these other leading clubs around. And Alison's a fairly you know loud mouth sort of guy um and this time it, it sort of worked for city's benefit he's stuck there going oh look at that player. he's useless i've wasted my time coming here he's <laughs> hopeless can't and and he he highlighted every single mistake that he made every mistake um and uh, which obviously wouldn't have been many but you know he's exaggerating the mistakes and by the end of it he's got all the other scouts and managers and that that agreeing with him saying yeah yeah you're right it's a waste of time he gets back to city manages to persuade joe mercer because joe mercer did not like spending money at this time um managed to persuade joe mercer that he's worth a gamble um and that's it city signed him for what in, in the end was a large fee but it was a bargain fee uh well you mentioned the injury there that's uh, that's something else that i uh, that i spoke to colin about uh this is this is what he said i asked him first off if he remembered the the incident i still remember the challenge yeah it was just unfortunate i mean say i was weight bearing on one leg and took a knock on the knee on the front of the leg and it bent backwards and that's what did all the damage how how heartbreaking was it to, to kind of keep trying and, and never quite getting back? Well, the thing is, you, you, you just think you're going to be fit, whether it was going to be a month, two months, six months. You just think that you're just battling on to be fit again. But unfortunately, after probably two or three years, it wasn't going to be the case. And the penny dropped after two or three years that I wasn't going to play at top level again. And it, it, is a cry, it was a crying shame. It is a crying shame because I've probably played another five years, probably at top level. The thing has been happening for so long of having treatment and, and training and uh, the penny had dropped early that at some stage things weren't getting uh, back to normal as quick as I'd like so there was always the possibility in the back of your mind that your career might come to an end. Do you ever look back at, at your time with City and, and miss it? And miss it? No, it was fantastic. Uh, it, it, well, I, you'd like to play, you'd like to play when you were 80 but... Uh, no, the, the, the time I had there was fantastic. It was probably 10 or 12 years I was there. and It, it couldn't have been better. I couldn't have wrote the script better. The only unfortunate thing about the full thing is taking up the injury. If I could add another five years to my city career, 
it would have looked a little bit better than it does now. So obviously, uh, Gary, it, it, it's something that uh, that did impact the end of his of his City career. You you said you remember him or rem- remembered the attempts at, at the comebacks. Um, what what was he what was he like after the injury? Well, I mean, again, just just I suppose we've got to say this whilst you know he's so humble there again, isn't he? He's not blaming Martin Buchan in that piece. He's he's actually saying, uh, you know, oh, it was one of those things that happened. And for those, I, I wasn't at the game. My dad was at the game. I watched it um, on the highlights on television that night. And when you saw how bad the um, oh, tackle, how bad it was by Martin Buckley, you realise uh, he was well. No player would have would have come would have come back from that. I mean, the fact that Colin Bell did manage to come back. Um, to some extent, it sh- again shows what a remarkable thoroughbred sort of man and player he was. Um, the City fans certainly blamed Martin Buckland, there's no doubt about that. Martin Buckland, um, I don't believe any player does go out there to injure another player, but obviously it was a bit reckless. He doesn't even get shown anymore, he should get shown because it, it was it was such an awful, awful tackle. Um, now, yeah, he came back. Uh, for a few games to, towards the end of that 75 76 season, and that was too soon. I think City rushed him back. It was ridiculous, really, that they rushed him back. And then um, after that, his sort of long fight to get fitness and get back in the team became national news. There was a, a BBC programme back in, in the mid 70s called Nationwide, which was a bit like the one show, and they ended up doing a feature. Part of it was. was um, John Stapleton, who was was sort of responsible for part of it, um, but they did this feature on City, and the, they they were trying to follow their football club through the season, really. But a lot of it became the Colin Bell story, and they had film of him running down the streets, pounding the streets of Moss Side, just desperately trying to get fit, going, doing, putting in whatever effort you can imagine, and 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 we really, he really did put in considerable effort. It was, he was de- absolutely determined to go get back, and because of his show and because of where the story was, thousands of letters from all over the country arrived at Main Road for Colin. You know, it, it, everyone was wishing him well, and it became this. It, it was certainly a national story, and then we all hoped. To, you know, we were all looking forward to, to the point when he came back, and then I was at the the Newcastle game in. Um, Boxing Day 1977, when he actually did play again. And he came on a substitute. But the key thing is that every single time in the first half, every single time he, he sort of got up to do, you know, do a few stretches or, or a bit of a warm up or whatever, the ground erupted. You know, we quite often forget this, but the ground actually did erupt every single time he stood up because we were all waiting for that moment. It was all, it was so exciting being in that ground. Colin's back, Colin's back, you know. Um, and then he came onto the pitch uh, at half time. And, and the, oh, but when we realised, when we realised he was coming out of that tunnel and he was getting on that pitch, it was just the most incredible ovation that I've ever felt at any ground. I mean, obviously, We've had dramatic moments at City, whether it's the playoff final, whether it's the Aguero goal or whatever. But I don't think we've... Well, we haven't, not during my my lifetime anyway. We've never had such an emotional moment as that. People were crying. It's no mistake. You know, I was sat in the Platte Lane stand. People were crying. People were just 
every time he touched the ball, it was just, sometimes it'd be a bit of a, you know, a gasp, what's happening, you know? Um, but most of the time it was just a sort of big, a big buzz, a big cheer, a big, you know, it's incredible. And City ended up tearing Newcastle apart that day, but it, it, that was, in a sense, that was irrelevant. What was, what was, and it, it was inspired by Colin Bell, no doubt about that. Um, but what was really important that day was Colin was back on that pitch and, and Colin, uh, our, our legend, our hero, our, our greatest ever was there and we could see him. The problem was the injury had really taken its toll and his, his knee was, was not what it should have been. Um, and well, you know, sadly, he, he played on for you know for some time actually, but he was never quite the same player. But that doesn't mean he didn't contribute. He certainly contributed over those that period and helped City in in many different ways with with you know victories and so on. Um, but he wasn't he he wasn't the player he'd been before. But even at the play, at the level he was at, it was still better than most other players. <laughs> This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Gary James on Colin Bell, who died this week. You can hear the full interview we did with Colin in 2013 for free on the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Um, before we move on, Jack, as well, you, you've spoken to him quite recently. Um, what, what was your impression of him? Um, I spoke to him uh, in September of last season, uh, and it's my only extended interaction with him. Um, and I absolutely loved him. I thought he's such a lovely man. Uh, I think we were on the phone for like an hour or so um, for an interview that he didn't particularly want to do, but Mike Summerby um, thankfully persuaded him to to do it because Bell just doesn't... He didn't do never, many, did he? Never, well, he didn't. I, I was trying to find the last one he'd done before that, and I just I couldn't find it. It must have been seven, eight, nine years previous and I feel very privileged to have been able to have done it with him um, just because he didn't like talking about himself because uh, he's he was a very like kind of shy seems a, a shy man who never really understood the, the fame that came with playing football I remember him saying that they paid Barry £45,000 to sign him and he was like it's just way too much money and yeah. that <laughs> weighed him weighed heavily on him for, for a while when he when he joined City it took him took him a few months to um to really make his mark but i just obviously i never saw him play but being around the club for the last 5 years you you talk to people and got to know a little bit about him and yeah you just kind of that hour that i spoke to him you cherish it because he's an absolute he's a legend yeah, Dan, you, uh, you like me, never saw him play as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, my dad loved him. I, I assume it was the same for your dad. Yeah, I think every every sort of uh, City fan who, who grew up in that era loved him, didn't they? And and uh, fans of our generation, our fathers, our mothers, our aunties, uncles, will have passed down just what he meant to the club. You know, we've all heard the story about him making his uh, comeback from injury after what two years out was it or something, and the the atmosphere at Main Road being spine tingling and. You know, I'd love to have, have been there for, for that night. And uh, yeah, it was a shame how, we, how his City career ended. But, you know, we all know about King of the Kipaks, don't we? And um, I think for, for fans of our generation as well, Moody, like a lot of the... I remember the talk um, when I was younger was like, well, 
if Colin Bell is the greatest City player ever, then who is the best player of our generation? And we were talking like Nicholas and Elka and players like that, weren't we? And it's, it's you know, Nicholas and Elka was a, was a great player, but you wouldn't say he was like a club legend. And it's it's just, I think, you know, my dad is, is especially pleased that, that I've got some legends of my own to watch now that I can tell my grandchildren about in, in future years, hopefully. When I, I got this job in 2015, I think, and my, as soon as I moved up, my dad, so I moved up from London. My dad was saying, "Oh, you, you've got to do something. Do Colin Bell. Do Colin Bell." It's all he could talk about. It's just like you've got to do. You've got to do something with Colin Bell, and everything. Like even when kind of like talking about De Bruyne or any sort of midfielder. Uh, if I, when I speak to my dad, he's like, oh, "Mention Colin Bell." It's like you're a Blackpool fan from the sixties. <laughs> like, why are you so bothered about Colin Bell? But you like realize that he's one of those people that transcend transcended the, the game and you'd have people like my people like my old man as a as a kid in the uh in the early seventies and whatever that was dancing around his playground pretending to be Colin Bell rather than Tony Green Blackpool <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. Tax day is coming. Oh no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC member SIPC. So now it's time to look ahead at the game with Birmingham. And to help us out, we're joined by Luke Stokes from We Are Birmingham. Hi, Luke. How are you doing, guys? You all right? I'm not too bad, thanks. Uh, so, I mean, coming to the Etihad for this one, it's been a while since you've been to the Etihad. Uh, how are things going at the moment? Uh, to be honest, not not great. Um, we started the season quite well and we looked quite solid. And I'm sure you guys have heard of Arthur Karanka and the style that he, he tends to have at all the clubs he goes to, being defensively solid. And we started the season that way, but recently we've been uh, leaking goals, I think 13 in the last six, uh, and not scoring many. So it's not a great time to be going to Man City, especially after watching their performance last night against United. Well, I was going to say, like currently 18th and, and four points above the relegation zone. I mean, what what were the hopes when you were starting the season? What, what, what were you aiming for? I think realistic. Blues fans, we had a massive transfer window. We need to overhaul the squad. Um, and in recent years, the managers maybe haven't had as much control over transfers as they wanted to. Um, so Karanka came in, we signed over 10 players. And I think anyone being realistic probably thought, let's just be comfortable this season. For the last, something like four out of the last five seasons, we've been fighting relegation on the last day of the season. So we thought, experienced manager in Karanka knows the division. Let's just aim to be clear of that for a few games to go in the season and go from there. Uh, I think a few Blues fans got carried away. We did sign a couple of players with a good pedigree. Um, Mikel San Jose, for example, played for Spain in that uh, Euro 2016 team. Um, so we thought maybe we could achieve something a bit more, maybe playoffs. But I think anyone realistic would have took mid-table uh, security this season. But unfortunately, uh, the first half of the season hasn't panned out that way. Yeah. Well, has, has Jude Billingham been a, a big loss? So I think so. But unfortunately, I think as well, it's it's a bit deeper than that. You know, Jude last season was 16 years old playing that team. Uh, and if you watch him for Bristol Dortmund, you know what he's about now. He's, he's a quality footballer at only 17 years old. We were using him at times out on the left, out on the right, to sort of fill uh, gaps when really we should have really played him all season through the centre midfield role. Um, but we have brought in good players. You know, like I said, Mikel San Jose has got great pedigree, but you've also 
got people uh, like Alan Halilovich is new, uh, new players coming in. You know, Ivan Sanchez is one which has been the sign of the season for us. So we, in terms of quality, we have replaced you in some areas. But again, there's a mentality problem, I think, within this team where if we go a goal down or two goals down, it's it's really tough for us to try and get back into games. Dan, I'm, I'm interested in, in how Guardiola's likely to approach this one because the games are coming thick and fast, as we keep saying each week now. He's had, he's, he's had all sorts of problems with his, his first team and, and having players, you know, isolating with COVID. It's it's almost a case of you know that this is one of those times where if he takes his eye off the ball he could get punished for it but he might he might be tempted to play a weaker side than he would normally. Yeah, maybe it's a bit of a balancing act, isn't it? I mean, they're playing Birmingham on Sunday and then uh, Brighton in the Premier League on Wednesday, which is a, 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 a gap between games that Jurgen Klopp wouldn't wouldn't be happy with, would he? <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think I think he's going to rotate, but but you know, what, rotating for City still means a pretty strong squad. You know, you, you look at the game against United. Kyle Walker didn't play. Gabriel Jesus didn't play. Sergio Aguero, Roger could start. Mendy could start, and then you know they could bring a few youngsters in, like Felix De Matcher was on the bench. Maybe he'll get a get a debut. Um, Howard Bellis, someone like that might play. This this Luke Mbete, this young kid who they had on the bench, maybe he'll even play. So, yeah, I, I, I see him making sort of wholesale changes uh, for this one, but it's still going to be a strong squad that he puts out and it's still important to kind of keep the rhythm up and, and keep this run going that they're on at the moment. Yeah, Jack, where do you think it, the, the balance lies for Guardiola in this one? I don't know, I was thinking about it. You probably want to play half a team for both the Birmingham and the, and the Brighton game, but he won't do that, will he? He'll go probably go full strength against Brighton. I, I honestly don't know who he's going to pick on, on Sunday because they've got strength in depth, but the strength in depth academy-wise comes at the back with Mbete and Howard Bellis and they probably don't... They need more strength in depth going forward. So I, you probably expect a few of them to play both both matches, which is not ideal, but I guess to be expected given the given the problems they've had with the, the positive tests. I mean, you'd expect Walker and Jesus to play on Sunday, maybe for an hour. Um, so in that sense, the game might be quite beneficial to, to kind of just get them back into some sort of rhythm. Because they, they were just on the bench. They are on the bench in, in name only, weren't they, last night? Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I, I mean you hear us talking about these th- these sorts of problems, Luke. You must you must be wondering what on earth we're going on about. <laughs> okay, if we could have one of your players, lads, I think we'd probably go all right. <laughs> you know, you're wondering, oh, you know, we might have to rotate Mendy in and maybe bring Jesus. You know, maybe give Aguero some minutes. I'm sitting here thinking, oh my god, what a great problem to to have, but. Um, I've forgotten all about Aguero, to be honest. Yeah, I saw something this morning on Aguero. <laughs> I mentioned him because I think Pep mentioned last night he might give him some time uh, on on Sunday, which would be absolutely brilliant for us. I'm sure we're look, defense looking forward to that. Uh, but, but no, I, like I said, your squad depth is is ridiculous, and I think in terms of us, we probably won't rotate as much. Um, you know, we we at the minute we can't seem to find a formula that works, and the last thing we want to be doing off the back of some bad results is going to Man City making wholesale changes uh, and potentially leaking even more goals. Um, so uh, by the sounds of it, if you've got those players to bring in, I'm quite worried. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Dan, it's funny because Luke was talking before about Birmingham leaking goals. And the one thing I've, I've been saying about City this season, up until kind of the last couple of games, they haven't scored that many. They've been keeping clean sheets, but they haven't been scoring a lot of goals. Um, and it kind of feels like like we're easing into the next gear of City this season. So it might it, it, it could be a little bit of a worry for Birmingham, though. 
Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, I mean, they've been playing without a recognised striker for the past few games, haven't they? So if Jesus or Aguero does start this one, that'll be interesting to see how how they look with that because the system has has, has kind of changed um, to kind of uh, bring in this this rotating forward line that's moving all over the place, lots of kind of moving parts, isn't there? Whereas I think what they have been lacking is a kind of central penalty box striker who's on the end of these chances and you know a fox in the box like Aguero, someone who can who can finish from tight angles and that kind of thing. Um, so it'll be interesting to see once a player like that does come into the team how that the overall system changes um, and whether it is more effective because you know it's been like you say they've, they've been scoring uh, goals recently not as many as, as you would normally associate with City but the last couple of games certainly they've been ramping it up so um, I'm curious to see whether a striker coming in makes them score even more goals or or sort of blunts them a little bit in a weird kind of way if you know what I mean yeah um, Luke I'm interested in, in what your perception is of City from this season because it's it's uh, being City fans as we watch the team kind of struggle to one all draw to one all draw at West Ham and a one all draw at Leeds and we're kind of going oh it's not quite fitting together this season what's What's been the perception of City from the outside? Uh, I, I think you guys just touched on it. I think in recent weeks, I think you sort of started to get your mojo back. Uh, at the start of the season, you know, a few like average results, you know, the one one West Ham, for example, and you've got people already talking about Liverpool, one horse race, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And now we're at a situation where Liverpool have got a couple of average results. Uh, you know, the 1-1 one, one with West Brom, the 1-0 to Southampton. United have started picking up points. And then all of a sudden, you know, I watched the Chelsea City game at the weekend and, and the United game last night. And it looks like Man City have never gone away and they've been in, in full flow. So I think it's not a great time to be, to be playing you, to be honest. I think you are starting to get that mojo back. Yeah, uh, who if you are going to if you are going to cause an upset in this game, who are the players that are likely to do it? So I think attacking wise, Ivan Sanchez has been brilliant, uh, and I think if he can get one on one maybe with a fullback, we might get a bit of joy out of that. Watching the United game last night as well, uh, I think is Stefan going to play in goal for you at the weekend? Do you think? I think it probably is. I think Edison's still likely to be isolating by then. He's, Edison tested positive recently. Yeah, so I think what if we can, and it could be this will be a miracle if we can somehow keep a clean sheet. I've watched United sort of overloading, uh, excuse me, overloading the keepers last night from corners, uh, and I think if we maybe try and go a bit more physical and try and keep it solid and nick one from a set piece, maybe someone like a Harley Dean or a Lukas Jukovic could get ahead on a on a set piece and maybe nick a goal for us that way. But um, yeah, I'd say Ivan Sanchez and then maybe one of the physical players like Lukas Jukovic if he starts and maybe centre half like Harley Dean. Jack, where do you think City are on set pieces at the moment? Given how United tried to try to basically get that that have their way into the game, uh, defensively they looked far more solid, haven't they? And that comes from Stones and Diaz's relationship at the back, which uh, has been a massive surprise, um, particularly as he's kind of Pep was so wedded to finding a left-footed centre back, and now he's playing two righty right footers next to each other. Um, going forward, they're still not kind of doing enough uh, with the amount of corners and free kicks to get around the box. And he said, he kind of said he's surprised, didn't he, after the match uh, at Old Trafford that they couldn't believe that they scored two from set pieces. Um, they're just a bit, of, they're, they're quite a small side, aren't they? They always have been, which is to their detriment from set pieces. Um, but the shape defensively means that they're, well, to me, they look more solid than they, than they ever have done. Yeah. Uh, Luke, before we let you go, we've got a charity bet coming up a bit later on. So uh, what's your score prediction for this game? I'm going to give you mine. I think we touched on this before. Uh, depending on how much rotation Pep does, 
uh, he might be kind to us. But I think if there's a, a few of your first team stars, I think there could be goals to see. So I've gone for 4-1 with us to nick one from a, from a set piece. Uh, so I'll stick with that. I'll say 4-1. Well, thank you very much, Luke. Uh, best of luck for the weekend and uh, yeah, um, best of luck for the rest of the season as well. Thank you. And to you. Uh, and as Dan mentioned, uh, there is the Premier League game against Brighton as well coming up uh, after the Birmingham game. Um, Dan, it's uh, this is an interesting one because Brighton quietly in trouble this season. Yeah, they're hovering just above the relegation zone, dangerously above the relegation zone. And I think uh, the perception about Brighton a lot this season is that they've been uh, a bit unlucky and, and the league position, the results perhaps aren't a true indication of what sort of team they are. And obviously they have got a lot of quality in that team. Um, they are a good side going forward. They've scored quite a lot of goals, but they're leaking a lot of goals as well. I mean, they, they did well to come back uh, against Wolves last weekend, but you know, finding yourself 3-1 down at home in the first place isn't isn't a particularly good look. So I think, uh, I think they're there for the team for sure. I think this should be a pretty comfortable win for City, but you know they are a team that can cause problems. Um, whether they will cause problems to this this City defence at the moment, you know, I don't really fancy anyone to cause problems to this City defence at the moment. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how it goes, but I'm feeling pretty confident. That's the thing, isn't it, Jack? You, like, you don't expect any problems, especially at home from this game. You just said the same for West Brom uh, a, a couple of weeks back, but already it feels like a different side to the to the one that, that struggled against West Brom. Yeah, I think they're, they're in a different place now, aren't they, than they were when they, when they played West Brom. I mean, they didn't really... I don't think they got hammered as much as they should have been after the West Brom game because you, they should have scored a couple of goals late on and they did have chances in the end. But I think they basically didn't create anything until the 85th minute. Um, and Pep kind of alluded to that after the match. But, I mean, how long ago was that? Two and a half weeks. They just look a different team um, at the moment. Uh, and you look at the fixtures in, in January, I mean... They've got some. Well, they've got four game home games on the trot now, haven't they? In ten days, um, and they've got. They're all winnable. Well, they should. Well, actually, obviously, every game is winnable, but they should win every single game in January. Yeah. Um, and then the, I think the league table looks completely different. I was going to say it could be top of the table February. by February. <laughs> I'd be surprised if they weren't. To be honest. Yeah. Um, how, how much of this season, though, is like you mentioned before, juggling fitness, COVID, and, and fixture congestion? Because there is the chance that other like, it's, like games can be called off and it not even have anything to do with positive tests at City at the moment. Yeah, I th- you just you you deal with the hand you're given, don't you? Um, and they've dealt with that really well over the last the last week. I mean, th- for all the talk about the Everton game and uh, the players they were they were missing for for Sunday. You wouldn't have known that they were missing five players on Sunday. I thought they were brilliant. Um, the back four helped the the goalkeeper out immensely, probably more than more than was was realised on the day. And I, they will have more positive tests over the next couple of weeks. I think that's a inevitability, given that there's been seventeen across the club in a fortnight. You would expect some more uh, in the coming days. And they just, they've got that, they seem to have that quality at the moment whereby they can just deal with anything that's thrown at them. Yeah. And Dan, I, I guess as a fan going into these these games at the moment, having just seen the two performances you've seen, like it's it feels like uh, one of the, you think back to the, the previous season and and how games were going and, and even though the, you get the odd good result and you go into the next game thinking, well, it's still only one good result sort of thing. It's not just the results, the performance at the moment as well, isn't it? 
Yeah, you just feel so so confident going into games because you know that City aren't going to get torn apart anymore, and you know that the bedrock of a good team is the, is a good defense, and City have got that now. So it feels a lot more relaxed, and you know, obviously going into games when there's no fans in stadiums, I think is is kind of working in City's favor a little bit at the moment as well because you know they're not going to hostile away grounds and having to deal with all that. They're just going there and playing the football, and and you know, I've, I've always said about City, if City play well, more often than not they will win, and we've seen that the last couple of games they've gone and played well and, and been by far the better team in both games so if they play well against uh, against Birmingham Brighton then why won't they win I, I don't see any reason why not yeah well uh, Kieran Murray was close on last week's show but he had his scores the wrong way round for the charity bet having predicted a 2-0 win at Chelsea and then a 3-1 win over United uh, that means we stay on £285 raised for the Cancer Hospital the Christie William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single and two more games to look at this week we've heard from Luke uh, he thinks uh, City will beat Birmingham 4-1 which is 14 to 1 and 140 pounds if he's right. Jack, what are you having for that one? Uh, 4 0. Uh, 4 0 is 13 to 2 and 65 pounds. Uh, Dan? I've gone for 5 0. Uh, 5 0 is 12 to 1 and 120 pounds. Uh, Dan, we'll stick with you for Brighton. What have you got? Uh, 3 1, say. Uh, that's 9 to 1 and 90 pounds. Jack? I've gone 4 0 again, hoping uh, that at least one of them will come off. Uh, it's still 9 to 1 and 90 pounds. And uh, I went for one less, 3 0, and that's 6 to 1 and 60 pounds. Uh, remember, you've got to be 18 or over to gamble. Prices can change, and you can get more information on how to gamble responsibly by heading to begambleaware.org. Now, Brian Horton's City team was one that threw caution to the wind, often attacking and leaving themselves vulnerable at the back. As the team hovered in mid-table in 1994, the manager brought in a holding midfielder from Borussia Dortmund on a short loan to try and shore things up. Stefan Karl became the second East German to play for the club after Ruve Rosler joined earlier that season. I've been speaking to him and his words are translated. It was 1994 and uh, I had the offer to go to England to play with Manchester City for 15 games. I was playing at Borussia Dortmund where I'd been for four years at the time and uh, Man City basically put an inquiry through to ask whether um, I would be available for a loan. Um, They were looking to bring in a more defensive midfield player to uh, help them in the relegation fight. Um, I came over, I'd always fancied playing in England, especially with a well-known club like Man City, but uh, yeah, it was only for a short loan and it was a top experience. I'm really pleased that I did it. I, I think you were the second uh, German player that City had at the time. I think Uwe Rosler was already there, was he? Yeah, Uwe Rosler was there at the time uh, and I knew him from uh, from East Germany, uh, where we both come from, and uh, we, we keep in touch. He's currently coach at Fortuna Dusseldorf um, in the German second division, doing very well. Yeah, we keep in touch. Um, he's been a friend ever since uh, we played together at Man City. I, I wanted to ask about uh, that that sort of relationship because um, obviously at the time uh, it, it was it was just as English football was kind of uh, as more and more uh, overseas players were coming into English football. Um, what was it like having to settle into a into a new country in a, in a place where it's a new language that sort of thing? Yeah, we we didn't uh, we didn't see a lot of the city because because uh, of the schedule of training and playing matches and so on. Um, but I went back in '95 and got to um, got to see a bit of Manchester when I went to visit Uwe Rosler. Um, it was um, yeah, it was a good experience, and um, and uh, Manchester City looked looked after me uh, very well. They they sorted everything out. How uh, can you talk me through your your goal at Southampton? Uh, it was a last minute winner for City. 
Yeah, I got subbed on in the 78th minute and uh, and scored the the winning goal uh, at the Dell at Southampton. Uh, it was uh, it was definitely my best experience, my best memory of um, of playing at uh, Manchester City. And uh, uh, trust me, the uh, the the trip back uh, in the coach was absolutely smashing. Well, how how come it? Uh, how come your loan spell at, at City ended up being as as short as it was? I mean, it it, uh, it was one of those things where I mean, I, I guess you had no say in in being able to stay. Yeah, funnily enough, there were actually there was another offer from England as well. So I mean, I could theoretically have had a chance to play in England, but um, no. I mean, um, my family I had a young family at the time. I had a one-year-old, and uh, and uh, my wife wasn't too keen on on uh, on moving to England uh, because of the language. And so uh, yeah, it just uh, it seemed like the right thing to do to move back again. Uh, who were the players in the dressing room that that you were you were most able to connect to? Yeah, there were a few really good lads uh, at City at the time, guys like Tony Cotton uh, and uh, Rocky Rowcastle, who unfortunately died just a couple of years back. Um, was very sad to hear that, but yeah, they they were they were really really great people. Just just a, a really good 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 crowd. Um, Tony Cotton is a very good goalkeeper as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously, um, uh, Rocky Rowcastle is a is a big name in in football. What what was he like as a person? Yeah, I remember Rocky fondly. He's a really good bloke um, on, on the pitch and and out off the pitch as well. You could always have a good laugh with him. Um, in fact, a couple of years later, I was at uh, I was playing for Hertha Berlin uh, in the Bundesliga between '96 and 2000, and uh, Rocky came over and had a trial. I was really surprised to see him. He came over and did a trial uh, to join Hertha Berlin. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't work out. But yeah, a, a top bloke. Check out exclusive city interviews on our website, BlueMoonPodcast.com. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. The full interview with Stefan Carl is available for Patreon backers of all levels. Just have a look at patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast and it will be available in full for free at the end of this season as well. Uh, time to finish now with Ask the Panel. Uh, get the questions in for next week on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Email us through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. You know the drill. Uh, Colin Tang has been in touch on the emails to say, uh, here's one for you, Statman. Given City have games in hand, has there ever been a team that wins the league without ever having been in the number one spot during the season? Um, well, we can answer that, Colin, because uh, not the answer is not that we can find. Um, currently, City hold the Premier League record for winning the title with the fewest days on top of the table. Uh, that was Pellegrini's title in 2014. They were 15 days in first position, uh, again because of uh, games in hand. Uh, City took the record off United, who were top for 30 days in 2003, uh, and City were top after game weeks uh, one, 37, and 38. Because uh, I think that, that I think Dan, that was the year that the, the Sunderland game was, was was off because of the wind. Yeah, that's, and that's right. What, yeah. That's what did it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember yeah. being in town for that night and uh, uh, got, you know, ready to go to the game and it got called off. And the, the Beatham Tower was making like a really weird whistling noise, if you remember <laughs> that. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, I, don't, I don't remember that bit. I, re- I remember getting home from work <laughs> and thinking, I, don't, I really don't want to go out tonight. It looks, it looks a bit blowy. Um, Jack, it, there's a long way for that it to looks possibly a bit blowy. happen. Yeah. <laughs> it, I, it was. Um, <laughs> There's a long way for it to for it to go this season. Uh, we te- we said earlier in the show, City might actually be first by with games in hand uh, by by February. Um, it, it's a, it's kind of the, this kind of nice dream possibility, isn't it? That like you can come in and nick it right at the death. That's how you want to win it. It's like going up in the football league by the playoffs. You'd far rather go go up by the playoffs than finish second in the in the, uh, in the league and go auto- automatically. Um, his big thing this year has been get to the last 10 games and if we're if we're in the mix in the last 10 games and we've done well and then we'll have a proper assault at it. So I think the way he was talking a few weeks ago was that maybe he was expecting them to come from deep and then try and try and nick it towards the end which I mean that might you know that might still happen um which would make just a such a tantalizing last 6 weeks of the season would it when everything's crammed in um and evokes memories of other Previous title wins, I suppose. Well, I was going to say though, Dan, that the problem here comes that that City might end up having games in hand. But if more and more games get called off and there's no weeks to play them in, those games in hand could be played like two and three times a week. Yeah, that could become a problem, couldn't it? I mean, so far so good with the, with the situation. Really, I mean, it's been a season like unlike no other. Really, um, we you know we we started the season a week later than the most other teams, so we've had a game in hand in our back pocket the whole time. Now we've got another one with this Everton game uh, being postponed, and it, I think it's always been about. Uh, I've always thought that the team that wins a league this season will be kind of who can control the chaos the best. And I think City have done a, a pretty reasonable job of it so far. I think the way they've been playing, um, I mean, the United game, it reminded me of when we played United in the title run in a couple of years ago. And it feels like we're in that kind of form at the moment where it's like the p- performances are good, but but the result is more important. And they're showing a lot of kind of respect for the results, I think, City, and, and kind of grinding results out, getting the three points and moving on um, to the next one. And hopefully they can put a bit of a run together and, and uh, keep these these uh, games in hand in the back pocket and, and use them later down the line. But but yeah, like you say, if uh, if they start getting more games called off, then it's going to be, it's going to be tricky and, and it, we really will see how good City squad is at that point I think yeah survival of the fittest that, uh, that could be what it is mm. uh, and that brings us to the end for this week's Blue Moon Podcast thank you very much for listening and thanks to my guest this week One Football's Dan Burke thank you very much and the Daily Mail's Jack Gaunt thanks very much mate uh, if you'd like to hear a bit more, then our Patreon bonus show is available for those who support the podcast by $2 a month. That's around £1.46 in UK money. And for that price, each month you'll get four or five weekly extras. The running theme of the season has been players who have played for both City and their next opposition. So this week we're looking at the club's links with Birmingham. For more details, head over to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. And there was only one way that we could finish this week's show. So this one is for Colin the King. See you next week.
I'm Colin Bell and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast.